Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake. And as always, I'm super excited about today's episode. Uh, today's guest is a certified professional in talent development with ATD with a background in developing cultures, leaders, and teams that create a positive employee experience. She's currently the Manager of Organizational Change and Learning at DTE Energy. Please welcome Christine Dunn. Hello, Christine. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today. want to start off, as we always do, and ask you what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless frontline workforce today. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Um, you know, right now, what I'm what I'm seeing uh, is the biggest challenge facing our deskless workforce is balancing their daily work and feeling connected to their extended teams, who they are in the field with every day. So, our traditional ways of both creating and maintaining those connections have been disrupted and dramatically impacted by COVID and how we work today. Many of our deskless um, team members, support partners, are required to work from home and remotely right now, really to reduce that risk to our field teams by eliminating unnecessary exposure to them. However, that creates a real barrier for those relationships that we need to get creative and figure out how to work through. So that's a real big challenge um, for our team right now. It's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about staying connected being one of the challenges when we're in the most connected point that we've ever been, you know, throughout human civilization. But I, I also understand what you're saying. Yeah. That just because we have the technology there to keep us connected doesn't mean that we always, um, you know, have the, the best um, plans in place or methods in place to keep that communication active. Yep. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, let's um, I, I want to come back to those topics a little bit, but I'd really like to give our audience an opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So um, give us a little bit about your background. Um, where did you get started on this journey into uh, your current role at DTE? Yeah, um, it actually probably started way before DTE um, in that I, um, my first professional role, I worked at a technology company. And we were one of the earliest um, uh, technology service groups that were um, implementing uh, recruitment application tracking systems. And I stepped into this role um, as a uh, to be on site with the client as a program coordinator. And like very quickly, I realized that the change had not been well managed with the with the team of people we were supposed to be supporting. So. It ended up being like this, this like open um, inquisition around like what happened here? Why, why is everybody so upset with me, Chris Dunn, who just got here and is supposed to be helping them work through the system and how to get their their applicants and their candidates and their people hired? And it took a while because I was I was young, um, but I, I I realized at a certain point along the journey that. Um, they weren't engaged along the way. They weren't engaged in the process. They weren't, um, they had been impacted pretty significantly by the change and it, it really just wasn't managed well. And so 
that led me to actually start down the path of um, pursuing some higher education in the organizational development space with a focus on change management. Um, and then I took that and I worked um, in external consulting world for quite a while um, in the first part of my career after I left that technology company and got to see firsthand how many different organizations and many different industries um, operated. And then I reached a certain point where I said, I really want to move internal to a company. I want to be able to see um, these transformations and these changes seen all the way through to the end with, um, you know, without the client company running out of budget dollars or all those practical things that happen when you're working in the, in the consulting space. And so I made the jump. And um, part of the appeal for me around DTE um, is that it's a Michigan-based company where I grew up and live currently. Um, and so there's a real opportunity to be part of an organization that has a a very significant impact on our on our local community and even statewide. And when I joined the organization, <clears throat> I started out um, uh, as a part of their organizational development team with a focus on employee engagement and performance management, talent planning, um, and leadership development. And over the course of the time, um, my role changed and I started to lead the team I was working on. And then about three years ago, um, Justin, what happened is we were, we moved from people kind of making light asks of us in the OD team around, hey, we're, we're getting ready to implement this change. How can you, how can you help us? How can we think about this to just very um, regular kind of full blown, like we need change support and we need people that understand DTE's culture. They understand our processes, how we operate. And so we, I, I got this awesome opportunity to actually basically have a startup inside our own company. And so we started up the change team, myself and one other consultant at the time who had been working at DTE for 42 years, has since retired, wonderful man. Wow. And um, now over the last three and a half years, basically, um, that the change team has grown from, um, you know, myself and one other person to a team of almost 15 consultants um, that support the enterprise uh, widely and large, large scale changes that are both some based in technology, some not right there's a lot of changes that are happening outside of the technology space for us in our industry too so how I got here in this spot was really just you know, our, our leadership team and our, and our company on the whole kind of recognizing that we were what was in front of us um, and recognizing it quite a while ago, about 2014, we developed a change leadership model that we use internally still today to the point where we created a team to, to provide that support and, you know, went from helping a few projects to supporting probably a anywhere between um, two and three dozen large-scale projects across the enterprise today. So it was just really a recognition of the need that was going to be in front of us a few years back. And then um, that's starting to realize itself in a lot of different ways. So so there are a bunch of things I'd like to explore a little bit there. Because yeah. I, I, I think one of the things that you said is really interesting. I, I want to understand the, the pivot here a little bit. When, when exactly did this current team of 15 consultants, when did that actually come to be? That was only a few it years ago, right? came to be in May of 2018. Yep. Okay. We started out with one and myself. We fairly quickly moved into a team of, you know, basically three, four, five, and then have steadily grown year over year since then. And, and actually we're adding four 
spots right now to the team. Wow. Um, and All anticipating right. more. Mm -hmm. do, and do we, need, you know, do we need to put those uh, job postings in the uh, show notes. Yes, we probably do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think what happened, Justin, is that um, there was like a real um, there was a realization around um, the value of internal expertise in the change space. And how that actually helped a lot of the efforts that were going on in the company um, work much more smoothly to get to the, the finish line uh, much more effectively. We still, you know, partner with a lot of external organizations to help us. You know, there's there's so much change going on that we, we still can't necessarily um, handle the full scope and capacity with the capacity that we have in the organization. But having somebody that that knows DTE, that knows our cultures, that knows how to help with communication pathways has just been a tremendous value um, to the organization and has made our even our vendor partnerships much more effective. So. Were there any particular things that happened inside the organization that really led to shining a light on the need for more strategic change leadership prior to, to 2018? Or it, it, it almost sounds like you're talking a little bit more about just a slow evolution of seeing the benefits. I'd just be curious to hear your take on that. Um, so I really do think that uh, back in 2014, there was kind of a, 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 a scan of the landscape. And I think there were two kind of really important factors that um, did shine a light on it. One was that we needed to make some significant investment from a technology perspective. Systems, like daily work systems, email, you know, uh, what we now think of as normal everyday tools with chat and Office 365 and things like that. And in addition to that, like our work management systems and all the work that is going on right now to, you know, harden the grid and, and, and kind of uh, move in a, in a forward direction from that perspective. And I think the other factor, too, is more of a, an industry wide factor, right, which is just this move to cleaner energy um, and knowing that what was in front of us over the next basically 20, 30 years was going to be a shift away from um, coal and uh, how we create energy, produce energy for the, the communities that we serve and that that was going to require um, significant amount of effort and support to get through that transition. So that's those are kind of the two factors that I think we were we were able to you know kind of look ahead and see that the, that was going to really become um, kind of essential for our, our you know our company's survival and how we how we serve our customers and so what happened is in 2014 we started planting the seeds around it and we developed um, a change leadership model which is more around how I show up as a leader. Um, when I have a change that I need to help my organization navigate through. And then we layered on top of that in 2018, this very kind of operational, how do we make this change happen? Who kind of helps shepherd that change work along and has the employee experience in mind and is, is really paying attention to that. So once those two things kind of like came together in a moment where, you know, we, the investment in technology was very steady and kind of continually increasing. And we were at the stage of starting to retire coal plants and, you know, shift our strategy around generation. It, it kind of just exploded in essence. So yeah, to hear you talk about it's just even the, the energy production side of things, that is such a massive change in the organization, in the economy, in our country. And I mean, there's so many aspects to what you're saying there. So 
when you often think of just, I guess I'd say more traditional digital transformation, hey, we're updating our ERP or we're changing from, you know, exchange to O365, mm-hmm. you know, it almost kind of pales in comparison to what you're talking about, which is just a fundamental shift in how your business operates. It is. And um, really, obviously, very deep rooted in our identity, right? Yep. And who we are and how we you know, how we're part of kind of the critical infrastructure that helps the, you know, helps everybody else serve their, in their roles, right. Um, You know, supporting our schools and our hospitals and our manufacturers. And so there's, there's obviously a significant amount of pride, um, uh, you know, with, in our organization to play that role um, in, in not only our community, but just in society on the whole. So big change for sure. (laughs) When you, when you think about change, leadership and in the role of you and your team working alongside your colleagues and the other functional groups. Do you see your role as more of a coach or as a facilitator? Are you helping to teach them how to facilitate on their own or are you there to act as that facilitator to help them navigate through the change? Yeah, we're, we're really doing both. Um, so they're, there, we're certainly here to kind of help um, and bring that expertise and that I'll say kind of like neutral third party perspective to the table. The way we are positioned in the organization really gives us the opportunity to um, kind of push on our peers and ask a lot of questions because we're not like married to the day to day work that they're trying to change. Um, And so it lets us be really objective and it lets us also um, make sure that the employee and their experience is like held in a, in an important space. So it's, you know, everybody has kind of a role as we move through these processes and our project management team is, you know, our taskmasters and making sure we're making progress and our finance team is mining the budget and our tech team is, 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 you know, taking care of that piece of things. And so, you know, in terms of that role of like facilitator, it's us kind of holding space for our employees to make sure that they're not, they're, that we're not just banging through the tasks quickly or building technology to, um, you know, to, to spec or to, you know, just straight out of the box that we're thinking about how we're configuring things. Um, so it lets us kind of serve in that role. At the same time, there's a lot of change that just happens that is small scale, right? That is just within an intact team that is, maybe a few teams that's like a leader just wants to shift and how they um, how they're leading their team or how their team is interacting with their internal external customers. And so we've built a lot of tools to support the organization to kind of self lead that change. And part of that is the change leadership model. Um, Part of it is some education. We host and facilitate a couple classes that are part of our new leadership development program and that individuals can just Uh, register for and participate on their own. And then we've built some toolkits. So we've taken a lot of our kind of heavy technical, um, you know, tools and templates that we use as a change team, and we've simplified them and uh, codified them in a way that a leader can kind of look at it very simply, step one, two, three, and it, it, it gets them to the point of the basics where 
hopefully their team is going to feel like their leader is being um, sensitive to the fact that they are going through a change and that they don't want to, that they want to engage their team in that process. So really we've done both. And, um, you know, we keep expanding and thinking about different ways to create small, you know, snackable bite-sized pieces from an education and, you know, coaching and teaching them how to, to lead their own changes to, you know, even just being engaged in a large scale project with us, those leaders walk away with their own set of new kind of insights around what good change management looks like because they, they watched us, they've experienced it with us, and then they just go back and they mirror it to their own groups on a smaller scale. So being the facilitator in, in some ways has been coaching. And then we have some, some real kind of coaching and education um, elements to our work to help, have, help the, the rest of the organization learn how to fish, so to speak. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. I, I can remember the first time I was acting as a consultant, actually with another um, utility company. And it was the first time I was really around uh, a whole team of OCM consultants that were working. They were external consultants that were working on the okay. project. And I found it was a 12 month or 12 week engagement for me. And I found that even my thinking changed over time as I started to absorb the questions that they were asking in some of our workshops together. Mm -hmm. um, It it started to change the way that I perceived projects. And so I just might be a little bit more curious about where the other impacts are going to be as a result of this project, rather than just staying myopically focused on the immediate task at hand of deploying this new technology or whatever the solution was um, to really start to kind of lift up our, our view a little bit to say, who are all the other people and organizations here that are going to be impacted. So I I can imagine how including that as part of your leadership training would heart really start to build a culture around greater awareness of, of change leadership and, and what's necessary to be successful. Yeah. And I think even just separating and helping people to think about change in two different ways, one is a change leader and how I show up and that have the, the kind of the positive shadow and impact that has on their teams and their organizations is, is one piece of it. And then separately, what are kind of the practical, tactical things that I need to actually do to help get through the process, right. To navigate through the process and and successfully. Right. So that's a lot of thinking about, you know, communication and training and stakeholder engagement. So we try to, I think taking that kind of like two pronged approach where it's like, how do I personally show up is, is a big part of it. And then, you know, in addition to that, how do I actually action on the work that needs to be done or what are some real steps that I need to take in order to help people feel like they're included along the way? Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you guys have got a, a very structured plan of attack on this, which is uh, exciting we, to listen to. We do. I mean, uh, it's matured over the last three and a half years, Justin. So our our new consultants that join the team now are, are much luckier than those who were with us in the beginning and were part of the creation process. But um, it's, it's matured along the way. And the team has done an amazing job of really you know, creating a a strong foundation for ourselves and how we support the organization, but also for our leaders so that they can do it on their own. And I think the, the really awesome part is when you're part of a change team, they, in an organization that has a strong focus around continuous improvement, they're constantly looking at like, what's working, what's not working, how do we adjust? And when we bring new consultants into the team, they have their own expertise and experiences that they're bringing to the table. And that's helped influence um, our, all of our thinking, um, in how we help, um, our internal customers. So that, it's been a real positive for all of us. 
Well, and, and to talk about that evolution, when you think about an evolution, you typically think of that happening over many, many years, but you're talking about an evolution that's basically happened over three and a half years, which is really uh, profound and, and quite impressive. So you, it sounds like you've done a really nice job of, of making that happen very quickly. Yeah, and, we, and you're not thank slowing you. down. We're not slowing down. No, thank you. It's a, it is a team effort for sure, right? It is a, it's just a group of committed professionals that have, we've all set high expectations for ourselves and held ourselves accountable for it. And, you know, created a culture within our team that has allowed us to accelerate our journey very quickly. And, um, really a, a strong appreciation and I think understanding of our unique role that we have inside the company that has yeah. helped us to do that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Let me, let me circle back around to, um, something that we talked about at the beginning. So yeah. I, I asked you about the biggest change or, or the biggest challenge facing the frontline workforce. And, and some of the things that you said were balancing daily work and, and staying connected and, and explaining how the communications have really been disrupted uh, as a result of the pandemic in particular over the last couple of years. If we were to ask them that question, what do you think the men and women that, that are in your organization, what would they say is the biggest challenge they're facing? And would it be the same or would they have a different perspective on that? Yeah, I think they would have a little bit different perspective on it. And I'm going to, I think they would say really the pace and the volume of change that's being expected of them right now, um, while at the same time, holding up high levels of performance and quality of work, right? And so I, I, I generally speaking, I think that's what they would say. I might add on to it and, and they probably not, might not say it this way, but the reality is um, right now, we're introducing a lot of new technology to help them work more efficiently. Um, and with that comes this major transition of going from an expert and having that expert status to a learner or a novice. And I think when you are um, a, a skilled tradesperson or a skilled professional, that can be an uncomfortable place for many people to be. And I think we all personally, when we're in that spot, we want to really accelerate the learning curve. But the reality is it takes time to move back into that expert um, status again. And so I think that's a challenge too for them. They might not say it that way, but I, we see that in, in our interactions with them, that that moving to from the expert space, even, even though the, the process may be clunky and cumbersome and take entirely way too long. And in reality is a frustrating process. Um, and the new way is maybe more simple, maybe more has more elegant solution. It looks, it looks cleaner. It looks nicer. It's easier to interact with. The reality is they have to learn how to do it. And so yeah, I think that's different. a, it's just different. Yeah. And so I think, I think that's a, that's a challenge for them too, but really in reality, I think it's just the pace and volume. Um, you know, those same two factors are alive and well right now for us, our industry is changing and we're continuing to invest in, in technology at a very heavy, um, heavy rate. And so those are, those are kind of key. And, and I think that's really how we're having a thoughtful plan on how you want to engage your frontline team, how we think about how we want to engage our frontline workers in a way um, that it, in a pace that feels reasonable to them is what's going to impact the outcomes that you're trying to, to create. So that, that's an interesting statement. You just said a lot of interesting things that I want to peel back. And, and I, I want to really highlight something because I just, um, you're really making uh, me think about this, which is the going from an expert to a novice. 
in a given area. Mm-hmm. And when I think about so many of the men and women that I've uh, been fortunate enough to interact with that, um, particularly in field service, I would say, you know, frontline workers make up a, a bunch of different industries and in, in, uh, worker profiles, but in field service, I would say in particular, mm-hmm. they take pride in many times having decades of experience doing that trade. And I hadn't ever contemplated the shift that we're forcing when we ask them to learn new things, particularly those things that are maybe outside kind of the core competency of their role. Right. Yep. So that's a, that's a really pretty profound, uh, impact for them. So, so now that you know that, how does that change how you communicate and, and how you bring that change to them? Is, have you found any way to kind of nurture their, their status as an expert while at the same time easing them into that new change? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, so for us, the, it, it influences the approach in that it means, you know, we have to get out in the field with them and understand, you know, what does their daily work look like? Right. Um, and ask for their input along the way, right. How do we include them in the upfront design? A lot of times we, I think in the support function, we try to like minimize the burden that we're putting onto our field, um, team, right. Because we know they have important work to do and, we know that they may be generally speaking uninterested in some of this getting their, you know, in the space. Cause to your point, their, their core competency and their expertise is, is, is out in the field doing that, that work. So, but that's, I think that really is to our detriment, right? So part of our approach is, you know, having those conversations early on, bringing them in, understanding kind of who are our positive deviants in the, in the field, right? Who are influencers and giving them a role that has status on the project, giving them the opportunity to voice, be the voice for their peers um, has been, I think, really important uh, to help kind of get over that. That early engagement in reality ends up being the start of their learning journey. So if they're there and you're creating ways for, for a a chunk of your stakeholders to be involved along the way and they're seeing things as it's being built and they're starting to build kind of a mental model around how this connects to their daily work, how it's going to be different. They're connecting the dots on that. And then when you get to the point of formal training, right, whether it's it's taking going taking their device out in the field and showing them how it's going to work differently or a combination of that and being in the classroom, simulations, that kind of stuff. Um, it feels a lot more comfortable to them. You really are helping them to accelerate that learning curve. Um, so that way, when you're getting to the point um, of go live, they're not feeling like they have to jam all this new information into their into their brains to be successful when you pull the plug on their, their, their current way of working. So I think those are important um, pieces to think about in your approach. You mentioned something I, I don't think that I've heard before, which is um, giving them a role that has status. Can we can we explore that a little bit further? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so I think that when I think about a project in a very traditional way, right, there's usually a, a core team of people that um, are doing the work to help with the implementation of this technology or whatever the new change is. And, um, you know, oftentimes there's a role there where there's visibility um, to leadership, you know, the leadership change. 
there's roles that are of influence on design and how work gets done and how testing happens and how training happens. And so when I say a role of status, that's really what I mean. I mean, putting them in a spot on the team where they are an SME and they are, they have visibility to the project team. They have visibility to their leadership team. They're getting recognition. They have the opportunity to influence their peers. Um, that, that's really what I mean. And that role could in theory be anything on that pro in that project group, right? They could be the lead tester. They could be partnered with the, you know, the tech team that's doing the design work um, and uh, being a reviewer that is signing off on certain things. They could be reporting out at status meetings with, with the senior leadership team to say, hey, here's how it's going. Here's how, here's how the team is feeling about it. So it doesn't have to be a specific role on the team. It needs to be one that actually leverages their expertise and their their influence in the organization and, and um, gives them a feel you know a feeling of and real value. Um, so yeah that's I think that that's useful, right? They are an influencer and um, you know being successful in any change implementation requires influ social influence um, amongst your peers. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you talked about the, the pace and volume of work mm -hmm. being kind of their big challenge. And mm -hmm. if, if I've learned one thing from all the change management practitioners that we've had on the podcast is this concept of change saturation. What I'm very curious to learn more about is how we measure that change. So we know that their pace, you know, you mentioned before their pace and volume has gone up. And in fact, in many industries that we're seeing right now, the workers that are there actually have more work to do because they may have open headcount around them that mm -hmm. they're having to backfill for. So they actually have more work and more change to absorb at the same time. So how do you, have you developed techniques to actually measure the amount of change with something, you know, you can't just whip out a tape measure. So how do you measure that? Um, so for us, what we're looking at, and one of the benefits to being kind of part of the central organization um, to the enterprise is we as a team can look at the different projects that are being brought to us and we can look at the stakeholders that they're being impact being impacted and so we've created some governance structures to help bring visibility to hey here's the set of work that you are asking for business unit VP president, okay. right? right. Um, here's what it looks like and who's who it's impacting inside your organization. And that through that process that's helped us to prioritize what work gets done first, second, third, um, and how we time it and sequence it because it is impacting the same seven group of 700 people, right? And realistically, what should we expect from them um, as we're going through these implementation processes? So Less of a measure, I would say, Justin, at this stage in our maturity, um, but more of at least a, a, a way to visualize and see all the work that we're doing across the organization and, and ask ourselves, um, you know, is it really realistic for us to layer on another change on top of the same group of stakeholders where the timing is, you know, you're asking for timing that is very near to the timing of another major implementation. Here's the risk attached to it. So it's given us that voice to have that conversation with our, our senior leaders and to help make decisions around where the priority is and be realistic about what people can actually handle on top of their daily work. So, 
it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, the trade-off is risk. Yes. And, you know, because we can try to jam this down everybody's throat and just say, we well, have to do it. <laughs> right. Uh, For sure. But, but there's, there's risk associated with that. And if, you know, if there's one thing communicating upward in an organization tends to resonate is, is articulating that in the form of, of risk and, um, you know, to, to really call it out so that we're not pressured to just jam something in just because everybody thinks it's possible. Yeah. And we have a, I mean, we have some guiding, uh, principles I'll say, or, you know, our, our operating model, you know, here at our organization that helps us prioritize, um, our team, our customers, our community, our investors, right? So, we're able to kind of look at, you know, the work that we're trying to do through the lens of what's most important to us. And I think having those, those guardrails or those, um, you know, really does help in the decision-making process. It does help you say like, here's what we need to think about. And also, I think it helps us be a little bit more judicious in our investments and how we're, you know, spending in the organization and which technology we're using and when we're using it. To your point, you can jam it in. However, you're probably not going to really realize the value from what you're trying to do. And, you know, it's um, the way it shows up, I think, is, is that uh, there's like this minimal compliance, I'll say, with utilizing the technology, but not like a whole scale change. You, I think you miss out on real process improvements and um, people aren't happy, right? Like they're not happy. And so um, over time, I just think that it, it you know, they'll, they'll do it minimally, but they're not really getting out of it what you hope for them to get out of. And so that's something you have to think about. And the business outcomes that were sought as a result of making that tech investment are almost never realized. Exactly. As a result of that, yeah, right? exactly. And, and I think that's really, I mean, this is the whole purpose for being with this podcast really is, is to explore those circumstances because- um, you know, we've seen those digital transformation initiatives and the varying degrees of success. And to your point, I, I hope that nobody would consider it successful to just get minimal engagement, right? As you described yes. before. Yes, right? I we would should. hope so. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, but when we've had conversations with leadership before, we say, you know, maybe perhaps if you're not prepared to support this transition successfully, then maybe you shouldn't actually implement this change, right? But that's a hard that's a hard thing to swallow when you really have aspirations to try to drive this change and you're really hooked on a new technology that you think can have profound impact to the business operations. Um, but it's, it's really hard to do that if you're not going to maintain and support it properly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think it's kind of, you know, balancing that short-term view with the long-term view and, um, and looking at what's realistic for, for the team and, um, you know, prioritizing what's most important. And, you know, in our world, that is our team, that is employee engagement, it's safety um, for, for, our, for our team. And so, you know, having those, having those um, values in place does help you, um, you know, navigate through that, those decisions and that, that work process, because the reality is it's not unlimited time, it's not unlimited resources, right. it's not unlimited budget. Um, there are constraints that we have to work in and um, those constraints show up in a lot of different ways. It, they all need to be understood and um, contemplated so that you can try to create the success. Otherwise, why are you doing it? Yeah. Yeah. When, when you set out this framework that you're implementing inside your or have been implementing, 
Do you consider the the challenges of, and in particular, digital transformation initiatives, but this may be even higher level at just change, you know, leadership overall? Do you apply the same strategies and tactics that you would um, for frontline workers as you would with, you know, uh, more traditional corporate personnel? Do you distinguish in any way between the different profiles of different workers? Um, and, and does that affect how you would implement change in those examples? Yeah, so, uh, you know, what I'll say is our structure, our process, our tools, our templates, you know, I think get us, I, what I always say to the team, right, this is meant to get you like 70% there, maybe a little more in some cases. Um, the key upfront part of the process is intended to bring out like, who, who are our stakeholders? What are their needs? What are they... What are their concerns? And in the context of the transformation and the change, what do we want them to know about it? How do we want them to feel about it? And what do we need them to do along the way? And so where I think there's a lot more variability is in how our actual communication and stakeholder engagement plan you know, gets mapped out and shows up and what those experiences are inside of that. Um, so the, the overall process is, is consistent and, and designed. There's always exceptions. And and the team knows they have permission to use their critical thinking and to, and to deviate where they need to, um, you know, where a lot of the differences are, are like in our channels that we use to communicate information, how we share the new technology, what the interaction looks like. Um, the other influences to all that are timing of the project and the scope of the project, how many people are being impacted. So yeah, our process is, is designed, you know, front end to, to, you know, front to end to be applied across the board and not skip any major elements of being successful in, in managing the change, but inside that in specific deliverables, there's, there's flexibility to meet the needs of the project and to meet the needs of the stakeholder. So yeah. Um, it's helpful in that having a baseline, you're not creating everything from scratch every day, all the time. It, it creates a lot of consistency and quality and experience for people and how they think about change and what that experience is. We don't want it to be a half-baked experience on one project and another project to have like this, you know, white glove service all the way through. And so we try to create, you know, a universal approach that applies across the board, but there's flexibility inside it to, to do what's right for the, for the team. Yeah. It sounds to me like the, so maybe the, the strategy is more universal and it creates an opportunity for assessment and discovery about the uniqueness of each change and then thinking about the individual stakeholders. And it sounds like perhaps more the tactics in terms of like your communication channels, as you described before, and the actual methodologies that you would implement are going to be different, uh, you know, depending on, and it's not just the frontline workers, but all of the different, all of them. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. profiles throughout the organization. Yep. And it's, um, you know, for us, we support both technology-based projects and other types of changes in the organization, cultural changes, um, a great example is, you know, we're supporting our, our coal plants retiring. There's no technology in there. There's no go live date. There's actually a, a, a quiet date, so to speak. Um, and so those are very different kind of changes that the organization is navigating through. So we, we have to be nimble enough in our thinking to um, create, you know, solutions that fit the change that's happening. But we want to we have 
you know, we want to have a complete process. We don't want to miss any of the important aspects of thinking about, you know, how do we assess what's happening in the organization? How do we understand those needs? What are the right types of solutions to help us get to that, that end that we want to. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you brought it up most specifically when you were talking about the leadership training and incorporating change leadership into, you know, professional development for the leaders in your organization. And, and mm -hmm. you um, kind of went down the path a little bit of talking about the different tools that you and your team have built to enable them to take those change strategies into their teams. I, I'm, I'd like to explore that just a little bit further. Are there other technologies when you're thinking of tools? Is that frameworks and templates and checklists and things like that? Or are there other actual pieces of technology that you've implemented in order to support your change leadership strategy inside your organization? Yeah, that's a, a great question. I will say um, up to this point, um, we are kind of uh, using the tools that are available to us from a, from a, a structure point of view. So we're using, we've created this toolkit in a one night note file, right? It's things that leaders are familiar with. So, so what we're pushing out to the organization are things that they, that we think they're comfortable consuming. You know, we published a short uh, web-based learning in the, in the change leadership space. They're, they're getting it through our normal LMS. They're, 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 they're consuming it in a way that they would consume other training. Um, in terms of like us and managing the change and looking at the changes and the projects that are happening across the, across the organization, we are really kind of using more traditional sort of project management type tools to help mm -hmm. us monitor and keep track of stuff along the way. Um, where we have kind of expanded our technology is in the space of like how we engage our customers. So we're using um, digital whiteboards and uh, different ways to help like do what we used to do in a room together, right? We all stand around a literal whiteboard with a stack of sticky notes and index cards and markers and flip charts and things like that. So we've found alternatives to what we used to do in person to, to actually have that a similar type of experience in the, in the remote and the virtual environment. So that's where we've really expanded out from a technology perspective, along with, um, you know, how do we make our virtual meetings more interactive, polling, you know, you know, questions, chats, um, just different ways to keep people engaged through um, what can be a lot if you're a if you're not used to sitting in front of a screen for a while, but even for those of us who generally speaking, we're, you know, in meetings and offices and things like that, being in front of a screen, eight, nine, 10 hours a day is much more than we would have ever anticipated or even have the, you know, had mu muscle memory built up to, to, to work through. So, yeah. so that's where we've kind of tried to expand from a technology space is more in the experience with our, our stakeholders versus um, our actual process. I mean, we are thinking, we, we look at things like how do we create something that's interactive? How do we create something that's visually appealing to, um, to our stakeholders? How do we create things that are consumable? As much as I would love for them to, you know, desire looking at our, you know, multi-hundred line Excel sheet of all the change impacts, that is not how Are you saying that's go. not engaging? <laughs> that is not how it's going to go. <laughs> um, you know, so we try to think about like, how do we get all the information we need to be effective facilitators and coaches um, and then give it back to them in a way that helps them build an awareness and an understanding of what this change is, is impact, how it's impacting their, their people. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. 
Have you, um, you, you mentioned the, the digital whiteboard or the, the remote whiteboard tool. Is that a, a separate product that you are using or is that just a, is. something that you're, okay. I'd be curious yeah. to hear more about that. Yeah. It's the one there are, there are several out there. So mm-hmm. I certainly do your, do your research and explore yeah. what options might work for you. Um, there's a fairly basic whiteboard tool inside Microsoft Teams, but the one we yep. use is called Mural, not okay. to be confused with Miro. Um, so there's a couple whiteboard tools out there. We have found Mural to be um, very useful for us. It's aligned with some human-centered design thinking. So there's a lot of inner, um, there's a lot of tools inside Mural that align with that sort of thought process that help you kind of create the experience you want to in a much more um, efficient way than if you were doing it from scratch. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll need to take a look at that because uh, I'm always looking for uh, tools that we can use to help, you know, bridge the gap when we're having collaboration sessions uh, remotely. Mm-hmm. It's fairly user-friendly. Um, it's, you can use it on, you know, mobile devices, easier on your laptop you know, kind of scenario, um, a little bit more robust, but um, has this idea of, you know, flip charts and whiteboards and charts and sticky notes and those kinds of things. So I literally just ordered two packs of uh, flip chart paper yesterday. Oh, you should have told me. I have a couple in my office over here, (laughs) stuff behind my my, uh, bureau. (laughs) You don't need them anymore because you have the mural app. So I need to go. uh, I need to go check out that solution and see if Amazon will take the flip charts back. Um, So that that's a great example of of just some of the tools that you're using in your organization. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I'm curious if you've tried to implement anything that maybe hasn't been as successful as you expected over this short, but very productive journey over the last three and a half years or so. Anything that you tried that didn't work? Um, I think, you know, generally speaking, we try a lot of stuff as yeah. you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and some are more successful, some are less successful. <clears throat> I think that, um, in certain projects and certain certain groups of people, those same ideas are very successful. They don't always apply to other, it's not always a copy paste, right? Something that's <clears throat> really, really well received by, you know, let's say our customer service org that are deskless workers um, versus our field service team versus our, you know, our team that's out in the plants, you know, it just, they're different environments. So I think, you know, we've tried um, uh, a lot of different things. The main thing I think that we have to, we really have to be mindful of that has sort of, that can lead to failure or that maybe is less effective is just very broadly speaking, this idea of making a lot of assumptions. Um, And so if we assume we know the right solution, um, if we assume people know what's going on, um, and that they're well-informed, if we assume they're kind of happy with the change, like it's new, it's fancy, it's pretty, um, that is where we run into faulty plans, plans that have gaps in them that don't really get us to that change in behavior that we're looking for, or that adoption that we're looking for. Um, so, so that's, I would say that's kind of a, a, a failure point. If we, you know, if we get into that space and sometimes that's easy to do because we all work for the same company. Um, we all espouse very similar values. We've all signed on to our kind of like aspiration and how we serve each other and our service keys, that kind of thing. Um, 
at the same time, we're all very unique individual people, right? We have, we all have very different experiences and knowledge that we're bringing to the table. So yeah, I'm trying to think of like, I mean, fortunately we haven't had like this, like explosive, you know, failure where we're all like hiding, hiding in our offices, for yeah. well, afterwards, and, which is good news. I certainly um, didn't mean to try to dra- drag out something yeah. that severe, but just, yeah, and yeah. I think you really described it as, um, you know, the way that you really, you've really explained a lot of things about the way that your team has operated is, is in making a lot of small adjustments along the way. And that's actually yeah. a, a fantastic strategy for mitigating risk of, of having, you know, significant failures by continuing to tweak things. Yeah, um, I, I would say we've, you know, there's certain things we've over-engineered along the way. And we realized sure. that like our sponsors, our champions, um, didn't need something quite so engineered. And so we simplify, we bring it down. We try to keep that, like, is this consumable in mind, right? Knowing that just broadly, there's a lot of information that they are consuming, these sponsors and these champions. So we, we certainly have made those small adjustments over time because we, we, we perhaps were a little overzealous in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Well, and something else you said, I think is really powerful and it, it really speaks to why we want to have this podcast and, and really have this conversation is that the assumptions that we might make entering into a new situation based on things that we witnessed elsewhere, um, you know, can really have a negative impact. And so, you know, the example I would draw from what you just said is that if, you know, we had an experience with an, an internal headquarters team, you know, working on an ERP implementation with, uh, you know, with the accounting department, and we applied some tactics to that group, which were very successful to then take those exact same tactics out and use them with a different group that may be completely in different circumstances. Uh, you know, we can't make the assumption that that will be successful there just because it was elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, what, what it what it tells me is that we we have to ask all the questions. We have to do the go and sees out in the field at the point of activity. We have to take the time to kind of critically look at each aspect of the transformation um, and give it its due time and evaluation. So that's um, you know the the opportunity and the benefit for us as a, as a, as a central team is that we can, we can prioritize that as part of our role. We can, we can, like I was saying earlier, kind of hold that space for what the employee experience looks like. And we can, because we're going into these projects, we're not the experts. We don't know their work processes. We don't know their technology. Um, Some people might say like it, it lets us ask a lot of dumb questions um, because we're outsiders but um, it, it kind of reminds us and it lets us not just get too comfortable with whatever is happening and to make those assumptions. We, we try to approach it with like very fresh eyes and new eyes and kind of an attitude of, I don't know, I need to learn. I need you to help teach me. Um, and so yeah. that's, that's been helpful. Open-mindedness <clears throat> is uh, fantastic. Yeah. So we're kind of winding down toward the end here. I'd love to, to get your take on what your favorite part is about working with technology. And it sounds like you're using a lot of technology uh, in your role and with your team. What's your favorite part of that? Uh, my favorite part of it is just like getting rid of a lot of waste that used to exist. Um, we like flip charts, <laughs> like flip charts, but also <laughs> like attachments in sending 17 emails back and forth across eight people who need to co-author and collaborate on a document, right? 
I, if somebody sends me an email attachment, um, I kindly reply back and say, can you send me the link to the document? And I don't share information in that way when I'm collaborating with people. I send them the live document. And um, just last week, I was collaborating with a couple colleagues and I opened up the file and I didn't panic because I knew there was version history inside, inside Office 365, but this person had made very material changes to the to the file they were kind of changing it to a different type of file a different purpose they had a different need they deleted like probably 75 or more percent of the content that was in this file and before um, they did a save as <laughs> no there's no save as exactly yeah. it's real time you know saving yeah. kind of thing um and and I was texting with the other colleague that I was working with and she was asking me these questions and I said to her I I think maybe we're something has changed because everything is mostly gone. So it seems like we're going in a different direction. So long story short, what I was appreciating was that um, I told her, don't worry, I will get the other, I will go back and get the version and do, save a copy of it. So we have that broader content. Now we have two, two different working files that are serving different purposes that we both need, but like really, um, maybe in the old world, we didn't have that, right? Like if you deleted it or if you, if it was gone, it was gone. And so what I just appreciate about the technology is one, it gets rid of waste. Two, it lets us collaborate in a much more efficient, meaningful way. You can, you can start to see people's thinking real time. And so it makes it easier, I think, to um, to connect with them and to relate with them and to understand them and also to share your point of view, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's what I love about technology. I think there's a technology has a lot to offer to us. It, it can be a great supportive tool like everyone else, you know, when it fails, it's, it's, it's very frustrating, especially for, for many of us who are, you know, kind of tied to it now for our daily work in the, in the pandemic environment. But um, overall, I think it's a, it's a real benefit to, to how we can, how we can get work done. That's excellent. Well, good. Well, thank you for that feedback. And um, we are coming up to the end of the show. I'd like to um, use this time to uh, extend an invitation to you, Chris, to come and join us on the Frontline Innovators Council. That is a private group that we have set up on LinkedIn. Um, I always say the fee for entry is that you have to sit through the podcast with Gene or me. And um, so now that you've you've passed that gate, uh, we'd like to welcome you to uh, the Frontline Innovators Council. There are a whole bunch of other folks who are doing very similar things um, and also many different things inside uh, similar and different industries. So we're yeah. really building uh, a pretty neat, diverse group of professionals across uh, a multitude of different industries and different geographic locations. And we'd love to have you come join us on that group. So thank you for your participation today. And I uh, can't wait to keep the conversation going inside the council. Thank you, Justin. Glad to spend the time with you today and uh, really excited to connect with others who are doing the same kind of important work uh, for our deskless team. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. Well, we'll make that happen today. Mm -hmm. And uh, for everybody else, we're going to wrap it up there. I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have today. And if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. 
And if you or someone else you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. We're always looking for uh, new recommendations for guests. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share their story. And we'll see you on the next episode. Chris, thanks again for your time today. Thank you. Take good care.